You're going to love this. Just love it. Yeah, you will. But we'll see. You'll love it. You'll be enraged. You'll be furious. You'll laugh. You'll cry. Why not? Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you. Clowns and jokers everywhere. Welcome to the broadcast on KPFK, live in Los Angeles, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in uh, on the Central Coast, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Stitcher Radio app, on the TuneIn Radio app, and of course, on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Welcome, I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Glad you could join us here this afternoon. Oh, happy May Day. Happy May Day. That's it. I got nothing more for May Day. We'll see. We may have news throughout this hour uh, as we broadcast live in L.A. on May Day. But other than that, happy May Day. You're going to want to listen. we got a big show. Uh, I've got uh, a guest coming up with me. We're going to be talking about uh, Guantanamo Bay very shortly. But we got a lot more to discuss this hour. And uh, among other things, you may want to stay tuned just because I may come out at some point during this hour as both black and gay. So you're not going to want to miss that. This has been a big... Did you know, uh, Desi, did you notice it wasn't just uh, Jason Collins who came out as black and gay. There was also a guy uh, in the uh, Nevada Senate this last over the past week in the Nevada Senate. They were debating and voting on a bill to remove, to repeal the ban on gay marriage in Nevada. Did you, did you see any of this debate? I didn't. There, there was an, a senator who also came out during the debate as both black and gay. Wow. I heard that it was a really moving and very interesting uh, legislative session it that was. people should watch if they can. But, yeah, that's right. There it seems w- to be the the prevailing aspect. You have to say that first for some reason. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah it, it was actually very moving. And he came out on the floor, uh, just like Jason Collins, uh, but... The NBA player I, yeah, who came out this week. Yeah, I, but I don't get that whole uh, I'm black and gay. Because, you know what, half of that we already knew. Well, true. But, you know, the other part of that is that it sort of gives him additional moral credibility. He has Why? already experienced bigotry. So oh. I think that that, to me, it's sort of a shorthand way of saying, hey, dudes, I already know what this is like. Really? You think I that's what that's, that's about? That's kind of how I think You know what? Works. If they threw in and I'm a lesbian, that would be shocking. <laughs> that would be something. All right. Anyway, so that could happen this hour. I may come out as black and gay, so stay tuned for that. Also, uh, before we get to my first guest, a correction from last week. And, and Des, you, you can stay close here, too, because this was uh, sort of your fault. Remember, you didn't tell me. We had a caller who called in to correct us. Uh, we were talking about the West Fertilizer, uh, West Texas Fertilizer Plant explosion last week uh, with our guest.
guest uh, who was on the ground there in West, Ramon Galindo from uh, RT. And I had mentioned that uh, back in uh, the early part of the Bush administration, the W administration, there they were the EPA was going to put in place some laws uh, uh, for regulation of chemical plants. Remember this? And the and I had referred to the head of the EPA as Meg Whitman. Yeah, that's right. He, yeah, I, I didn't hear you say that. I had missed that part. Yeah. It went by so quick. So, I yes, did. it was Christine Todd, it, it, of Whitman, course, Christine, former New Jersey right. governor who then became head of the well, EPA and, and left after two uh, years when she couldn't get any of that chemical industry legislation passed. That's right. So we want to put our corrections up front. To be clear about and this, and thank that caller, and too. thank the caller for calling in, uh, Christine Todd Whitman, not Meg Whitman, as I misspoke. Completely different. Right. Well, she was the first EPA administra- uh, administrator under George W. Bush. She's the one who attempted to put in place new regulations for chemical plants, like the one that exploded recently in West Texas. She was stopped by the Bush administration, so we regret the error. And Meg Whitman, of course is the California businesswoman who invented the delicious chocolate Whitman samplers. <laughs> and I, so I want to go cl- – oh, and Christine Todd Whitman, of course, is related, as you pointed out, Desi Doyen, to Mary Todd Lincoln. They are sisters. All right. So uh wanted to get that out right it's a away. Extra and confusion there for that's you. right. If you have any uh, further corrections, you can reach me anytime at the Brad blog on the Twitters. Better yet, you can reach Desi Doyen on the Twitters at Green News Report. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Uh, let me get to let me get to my first guest. Uh, Jason Leopold is the lead investigator and reporter at TruthOut.org. He is the author of the Los Angeles Times bestseller News Junkie, a memoir. His recent investigative report from hopeful immigrant to FBI informant, the inside story of the other Abu Zubaydah, is now available as an ebook, and you may follow him, of course. Uh, on the Twitters, at Jason Leopold. Uh, hey, Jason, welcome back, sir, to the broadcast. It's great to be back with you, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, my friend. I tell you, you know, I talked to you yesterday. I wasn't planning on talking to you this week until uh, the president came out and was asked a question during his press conference. This would be a Tuesday morning by Bill Plant of CBS News, and suddenly, thankfully, the uh, the issue of Gitmo uh, of uh, this prison at Guantanamo Bay, this frankly shameful prison now uh, at Gu- Guantanamo Bay, came back up. I know you've been covering uh, Gitmo for about a decade now, and that you recently got back from Guantanamo. When, when were you there? In February, January, February yeah, of this end year? Yeah, January to early February. Okay, here's what I would like to do, Jason. Before sure. uh, I, I get to you and these questions, I want to be as fair as possible to the president on this. So I'm going to play this clip. This was from last, uh, I'm sorry, from Tuesday morning, the uh, press conference uh, where Bill Plant asked this question of uh, of the president. Let's let him, it's, it's long, it's about three minute clip. I'm going to play the full clip because I want to be fair. Let him have his say. And then Jason, I will uh, ask you some questions about it as I suspect you have many thoughts about uh, about his response. Let's Let's take a listen. As you're probably aware, there's a growing hunger strike at Guantanamo Bay among prisoners there. Is it any surprise, really, that they would prefer death rather than have no end in sight to their confinement? Well, uh, it is not a surprise to me that we've got problems in Guantanamo, which is why 
when I was campaigning in 2007 and 2008, uh, and when I was elected uh, in 2008, I said we need to close Guantanamo. I continue to believe that we've got to close Guantanamo. Uh, I think, well, uh, you know, I, I think it is critical for us to understand that Guantanamo is not necessary to keep America safe. It is expensive. It is inefficient. It uh, hurts us in terms of our international standing. It lessens cooperation with our allies on counterterrorism efforts. It is a recruitment tool for extremists. It needs to be closed. Now, uh, Congress uh, determined that they would not let us close it. Uh, and despite the fact that there are a number of the folks uh, who are currently in Guantanamo who the courts have said uh, could be returned uh, to their country of origin or uh, potentially a third country. Um, I'm going to go back at this. Uh, I've asked my team to review everything that's currently being done in Guantanamo, everything that we can do administratively, and I'm going to re-engage with Congress uh, to try to make the case that this is not uh, something that's in the best interest of the American people. Um, and it's not sustainable. I mean, the notion that we're going to continue to keep over 100 individuals in a no-man's land, in perpetuity, um, even at a time when we've wound down the war in Iraq, we're winding down the war in Afghanistan, we're having success uh, defeating al-Qaeda Corps, we've kept the pressure up on uh, all these uh, uh, transnational uh, terrorist networks. When we've transferred uh, detention authority in Afghanistan, the idea that we would still maintain forever uh, a group of individuals who have not been tried, that is contrary to who we are, it is contrary to our interests, and it needs to stop. Um, now, it's a hard case to make because, you know, I think for a lot of Americans the notion is out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and it's easy to demagogue the issue. That's what happened the first time this came up. I'm going to go back at it because I think it's important. So there you go. That was President Obama at his press conference on Tuesday morning asked about uh, Guantanamo, where there has been an ongoing hunger strike by, uh, I, I think, about 100 in individuals. Uh, Jason Leopold of Truthout, you're just back from Guantanamo. Uh, you hear these comments from the president yesterday. What is... Uh, you know, Congress, he blames, uh, would, would not let us close it. Uh, it needs to be closed. It's a recruitment tool for extremists. What, uh, what occurred to you yesterday morning, Jason, when you heard those comments from the President of the United States? Well, it's certainly funny that he says out of sight, out of mind, because it's been out of sight, out of mind for the President, and he has not been engaged in the issue, uh, for years, many years. And many of the policies that, you know, have been put into place that would certainly limit his ability to do, you know, to take certain steps uh, with regard to closing it, you know, he, he ultimately signed into law. Uh, but he's not being exactly forth, truly forthcoming with regard to at least starting to empty out the prison uh, as it pertains to more than half of the prisoners who have already been uh, cleared for release or transfer. Uh, what, what many people are, are unaware of is that in the National Defense Authorization Act that he signed into law, there's a waiver. There's a, a Section 1028. It includes a waiver 
uh, you know, provision that would essentially make it a bit easier for the Secretary of Defense, uh, you know, working with you mm-hmm. know the State Department to start uh, letting some of these uh, you know, prisoners go. So, uh, you know, it's he's not exactly giving us the full story as to what his role is, what his administration's role is. I mean, he had ordered uh, uh, back in 2009 that, you know, all of the cases that are at Guantanamo should be reviewed. And then about a year later, you know, this task force came back and said, okay, here are the prisoners that we can, you know, clear, that, that will clear for release or can go to, you know, their home countries or, or other countries for resettlement. Here are the prisoners who should be uh, prosecuted before military commission, and here are about 50 who can either be, you know, prosecuted or um, or released because you know the uh, prosecuted because the evidence against them is tainted and uh, can't be released because they consider them too dangerous. So let me, uh, Jason, let me go actually go through some of those numbers. We've got what is it, 166 prisoners down there right now? Correct. Okay, and uh, uh, Obama comes in, uh, ha- orders a review of those prisoners, finds that, is it 86 are being held now that uh, that no charges can be brought against them, that they did because, well... 86 are the ones that can, can leave. That can leave, that did nothing wrong, right? That there are no charges, that even if they wanted to prosecute them, there, there's nothing to prosecute them for. These are people who are completely innocent of having done anything. Is that well, correct? That, I can't say that's correct only because, you know, the government doesn't maintain that. Um, certainly, you know, you talk to their lawyers and they'll say they didn't do, you know, they, they certainly have not been charged with anything. But, the, you know, the government maintains that they're still, you know, enemy combatants, even though that phrase is no longer used. But they certainly do not say that they're innocent. But, but Absolutely do, not. But the, there is no evidence against them uh, that, you know, has been certainly w- w- would justify holding them. There's a, uh, they're just not saying that they're innocent. They're just saying that they don't no longer pose a national security risk. And they're saying that these people should be cleared, uh, that, that, they, that they are cleared, that they should go back, they should be repatriated to their home country or to a third, uh, a third country. Right, or even a, re- a rehabilitation facility. A re- and, that's, yeah. and that's 86 uh, people who essentially can't be charged, will never be charged, because there's really nothing to charge them for whether they are Correct. innocent or not. And they are sitting... Let's just add, though, that yeah. there are many prisoners there who were also just simply at the wrong place at the wrong time and sold for bounties. Uh, in fact, I have a flyer uh, that I'm going to be writing up a story about, these old leaflets that were dropped, uh, in, in which, you know, encouraging people to, you know, turn in anyone from, you know, that you think is Taliban and, mm-hmm. and, and Al-Qaeda, and, uh, you know, we'll give you five grand. So right. many of them, you know, that are there kind of fell into that category. So... Uh, but but here's the thing, uh, Jason. These yeah. people who were cleared for release by the government, by the U.S. government, were going to be released. Uh, that was uh, th- uh, three, almost four years ago now. They're sitting there. They have not been released. I think some of them were going to be released, and then the uh, I think it was the underwear bomber or something in in 2009 came along, and everybody got scared and said that oh, even these people who we, we can't charge with anybody with anything, we're just going to keep them here. Those are the 86 people that we're talking about that Correct. have have been sitting there three or four years since being cleared. 
right? Yeah, there was a moratorium put on any, uh, you know, placed on any transfer or, or, or just releasing any of the. Who put that moratorium on it? The president or the Congress? Uh, that was ultimately, you know, the president. Congress um, encouraged it and, mm-hmm. and, and pushed for it. Uh, and, and certainly the, you know, the president went along with it. But legally, so. uh, under the, as you, you cited, uh, the NDAA, which, you know, everybody hates, uh, because it, it gives, uh, this authority to indefinitely detain just about anybody, gives this authority solely to the president. Also, under that, uh, sole authority, he can, uh, clear these folks. As a matter of fact, uh, Carlos Warner, uh, with the, uh, Federal Public Defender of the Northern District of Ohio, uh, he represents a 11 Guantanamo prisoners. He said yesterday, quote, I applaud President Obama's remarks. He hasn't mentioned Guantanamo in years, but the fact that the Congress has very little to do with it. NDAA, as written, allows the president to transfer individuals if it's in the national security of the United States. Correct. The president's statement made clear that Guantanamo negatively affects I'm sorry, negatively impacts our national security. The question is not whether the administration has the authority to transfer innocent men, but whether a uh, whether it has the political courage to do so. So when we hear uh, uh, President Obama, Jason Leopold, saying he wants to go back to Congress, he wants to work with them, he wants to get them to free up the funds that they did, in fact, uh, block to keep him from closing it down entirely, he still could clear out about 86 of the people who are sitting there who can never be charged, who have been cleared by the government, he has the authority to do that today. Does he not? He does. Indeed, he does. Uh, and, and, you know, there's obviously lots of blame, you know, being pointed toward Congress. The State Department is doing that. I mean, keep in mind that the State Department had a, a you know a special envoy designated for dealing you know, with these issues regarding repatriation of uh, Guantanamo prisoners, that person was reassigned and, you know, the position never filled. Yesterday, I received a, um, you know, a comment from uh, White House spokeswoman, uh, Caitlin Hayden, who said to me that the, uh, you know, that they're going to be looking at now, you know, filling that position again. So, you know, you have to keep in mind, Brad, that you have to put all of this into context. There's a hunger strike taking place at Guantanamo, right. a mass hunger strike. It involves, you know, uh, more than 100 prisoners. Uh, many of these prisoners are being force-fed. Uh, Which is torture, by the way, under U.N. Yeah, conventions. Yeah, That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, their attorneys say that they're, you know, they're close to death. Some are in double digits uh, in terms of their weight. So that has now become a huge, huge story that's being covered internationally. And so, therefore, you know... The, the the press corps has woken up to oh yeah hey by the way you know let's uh, let's talk about Guantanamo and obviously you know because it's become a, it's it's been a public relations nightmare mm-hmm. for the government uh, you know Obama is responding and acting so it's more of a reaction as opposed to real any you know any real action you know that 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 he has been true Jace but is it it's a reaction but is it is is he even reacting other than responding in a press conference when there is action he can take he is not taking it he's offering some great rhetoric uh that was a moving uh absolutely speech true. yeah absolutely true it's you know it, it it's basically moving you know to kicking the can down the road you know he's kicking it over to congress and look congress they do need to work with congress i mean obviously but Still, there is that, you know, that waiver, that, that, that there, there are certain things 
he can do now without Congress. Right. And he's not doing that. He's not going to do that. You can be sure about that, Brad. He's absolutely not going to do that. And why? Why is he not doing that, Jason? It's all political. It's completely political. There's no political will to, you know, take it upon, certainly for the president, to take it upon himself, you know, to, to act. You have to just go back and look at um, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, okay, and uh, the other 9-11 suspects who are going to be prosecuted in civilian court. Right. Ultimately, you know, that was a decision for Eric Holder. But because of the backlash, you know, uh, that took place, uh, you know, by the Republicans and even some Democrats, you know, the president actually stepped in. That, that's a, that was a big move, and I'm not sure if people realize that, that the president, you know, overrode the attorney general and said that they're going to be, you know, prosecuted in, you know, before military. In a military tribunal instead of in court. They right. folded. So, they just absolutely folded on that they, point. They did, but it's, it's the lack of political will. So I would say, Jason, I would say it's the lack of political courage, you know. Yes, that's actually a much better, much better way to describe it. So, you know, he has, you, one only need look at, you know, the way this president has acted when it comes to sort of making some, you know, really hard decisions uh, that don't involve health care, <laughs> you know, yes, exactly. uh, that, that do not involve, you know, getting that health care bill passed. And Guantanamo is certainly not a, an issue that lawmakers care about. It's, it's the one issue um, or one of the few that people can see that there's true bipartisan support when it comes to sort of, you know, keeping these policies in place the way it is. You know, this month, May of 2000, you know, four years ago exactly this month, it was the Senate Democrats who were in the majority right. that, that actually blocked the funding. When Obama first tried to move forward with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, shutting down this facility. And it was the Democrats who said no. So, you know, it's, it, it, and since then it's really been, okay, that's it. He put his, it seems like he put his toe into the pool of uh, moral leadership and then pulled it out uh, the minute he got any sort of pushback from, uh, from his own party, certainly, from Harry Reid, who, who said, I'm not going to uh, allow money to, uh, you know, go to the transfer of these prisoners. But if he talks about, you know, taking executive action to work around uh, Congress where Congress is failing, he certainly has the ability to actually take action on this uh, immediately and get rid of you know some of these people move these people out who will never be charged who who you know are are guilty apparently of nothing and he clearly lacks the political will to do that. Jason, let me give you two more quick points I want to hit here before yeah. I have to let you go. But uh, Glenn Greenwald uh, wrote that the key point constantly being ignored on this issue is that before Congress did anything, Obama's plan was simply to move Guantanamo, not really to close it, and to keep its defining system of indefinite detention in place. Greenwald writes, uh, I just don't know how to get people to understand this. They've been told so often that Obama tried to close Gitmo, but Congress stopped him that they can't realize that, though that is narrowly true, it's extremely misleading. In fact, Obama has always been in favor of this idea of indefinite detention. It's true. I mean, people do not realize that. What, are you, you know, what ultimately were they going to do back in 2009? Well, they were going to purchase a, you know, a prison mm-hmm. in Illinois and basically move them there. 
So you're talking about, you know, Guantanamo, I think it was called North, uh, which was a sort of nickname. So it would have still been, a, you know, a policy of indefinite detention. You know, Guantanamo is, 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 is the symbolism, but the actual, you know, that, that they obviously want to get rid of. But the actual, you know, indefinite detention would remain. And um, you spoke, as I indicated, 50 people. You spoke about uh, yesterday when we chatted uh, very quickly, you said essentially there's there's three different categories of people, those who have been cleared, who should leave immediately, those who do need to be tried, who were uh, apparently uh, very bad guys and, and are, are still waiting for a trial. And then a third category of people who probably should be tried, who are bad guys, but uh the the evidence has been so tainted whether it's torture whether it's you know their treatment that they really can't be tried because if it was a legitimate court we would have to throw out the case right because the the evidence against them has been so tainted it, correct i mean and, and, and so they can't release them either because they're saying that they're too dangerous to release mm-hmm. i mean and therefore that and what i mentioned on the periodic review boards which is somewhat of like a, a think of a parole board Every year, they were supposed to review these cases. Well, guess what? They were supposed to review this last year, Brad, and they didn't. And that falls, you know, uh, on, on Obama's shoulders that that never happened. So now, you know, he's reacting. And, and you know, it, it's fine to give him credit. He spoke about it. But it didn't really seem like he was knew what he was talking about. To me, it sounded like he was still campaigning to be president, reaching as far back as 2007, to remind people of what he said. Let's face it, he said a lot of things in 2007 that just completely are completely different in 2013. Uh, with regard to promises and, and, and things that he wanted to do, Jay- for better or worse. Jason, I'm going to have to have you back in the future because I do want to talk to you about this more, but uh, very quickly in the 30 seconds I have left here, uh, you were down there just a, a month or two ago. Uh, very quickly, what can you tell me about the conditions uh, down there for these prisoners? And, and by the way, do you believe that you were allowed to see what the conditions are really like down there, or was this you know, no. like the old... Soviet gulags where they only let you see certain things. We have no access to, you know, to them at all. And I was down by the military commission, which was about a mile away, you know, from the actual prison camp. I will be down there soon to observe, you know, the actual prison camp. Um, But it was, you know, we'll probably need to talk about another time on what the whole military commission side itself is. You know, is like it's. It was a surreal experience, Brad. Uh, you know what? I uh, let's let's have you back after your uh, your next trip down there because I really do want to talk to you more about this, Jason Leopold. You can find. Uh, his incredible reporting uh, going back, like I say, 10 years uh, over at truthout.org. His work, along with really a handful of others, uh, Jason, uh, you know, Andy Worthington comes to mind. Uh, he's, he's been terrific on Gitmo over these years. Uh, Ryan Riley lately, uh, now uh, pro- formerly a TPM, now of HuffPo, has been down there covering Carol Rosenberg from Miami Herald. And you, your work at Truthout has been indispensable. Uh, Truthout should be incredibly uh, proud that uh, you are uh, such an important resource and that, you know, your work is over there for guys like me to go to to figure out what is happening. Because you're right, and Obama is right, uh, to the extent that so much of this is out of sight and out of mind. So thank you, uh, Jason, and thank, thank you, you Truthout, for staying on this story. That means a lot to me. Thank you very much. You bet. We will talk soon, my friend. Thank you.
some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, much more straight ahead. Uh, you know, we have gone off the rails. That conversation with Jason reminds me just how far we've gone off the rails. When we come back, we're going to talk about the one woman who could have kept us from going off the rails. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, an upcoming election in South Carolina, maybe a little bit of Syria, a follow-up on West Texas, and much more. Maybe your calls if we get lucky at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. If you'd like to use your public airwaves, we'd love to help you. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast on KPFK. Next time on Smiley and West from PRI. A legendary musician, our dear brother Herbie Hancock. Officially, jazz is an international music. We can no longer say it's just an American music. Yes, it was born here, but now it belongs to the world. Brother Herbie Hancock, next time on Smiley and West. From PRI. Smiley and West, Saturday morning at 11, right here on 90.7 FM, KPFK. Well, hello there. Do you happen to have an old, beat-up vehicle and just don't know what to do with it? Well, no worries, my friends. Just donate it to KPFK. Simply call 877-KPFK-AUTO, and a representative will answer the phone, and will answer all of your desired questions. The number, once again, is 877-KPFK-AUTO, and you'll be on your way of getting rid of that old clunker of yours, and at the same time, you'll be helping KPFK stay alive. And yes, it is that easy. Yeah, maybe they do. I don't listen to them. Welcome back. This is your broadcast on KPFK and the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Uh, our phone number, if you want to try to get in, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. I had uh, actually... Before the press conference happened uh, yesterday with the president, I was I was hoping to hit Syria today and uh, what's going on in not just in Syria, but in our in our politics, in our national politics, in our media. Are we seeing the same drumbeats we heard before Iraq? Are we being more responsible this time, more skeptical this time? Is the media being more skeptical? Is the president being more skeptical? Uh, maybe we'll get to some of that in in a bit. Um, but once he had mentioned uh, a Gitmo again and uh, sort of the hypocrisy on that, I, I, you know, I just felt we needed to get to that and, and talk to that because th this is one of those issues. You have these people who are sitting there for years now trying to kill themselves in slow motion. 
essentially, by going on this hunger strike uh, or, you know, hoping to get some attention to what they're going going through. People who have been cleared of, you know, any charges at all who should be sent home. We're keeping them indefinitely now in solitary confinement now 20 uh, i think it's 22 hours a day now they can uh, be shackled and brought out for an hour or so now the conditions there have gotten worse over the past year uh if you follow the reporting of Jason Leopold and others on this um it's disgraceful and what is so maddening to me about it is that you know, this is, it's not like it's a, it's a political policy that, that I might disagree with. It's not a conservative versus a, a, a liberal or a progressive thing. You know, you did have Harry Reid up there leading the charge to not allow any funding to go to move these people out so they could have a proper trial so we could try to restore the Constitution. This is not, uh, you know, a political battle. This is an idiocy battle. This is just stupid. This is there. There is nothing uh, good that can come of this. There is nothing defensible, frankly, that can come of this. This is just idiocy. This is how far we've gone off the rails when we have, you know, completely extra constitutional uh, prisons held in this no man's land where nobody, uh, you know, is is required to take action under a presidency that has been so expanded that the president now, without any due process, can decide who and who isn't an enemy combatant, and that person can, and by the way, apparently be a U.S. citizen, can be killed, can be held without charges. That's what this country has become in the era of uh, following George W. Bush, the era that continues following George W. Bush. These fights that we're now uh, waging when we you know, saw last week 90% of the country wants common sense background checks for all gun purchases, but even that can't go through our Senate, even that can't even get an up or down vote by the majority in the Senate. By the way, that would have passed 55-45. But it has now been allowed to be taken over by uh, by corporations, by uh, unending money in our political system. And again, these aren't political issues. These aren't, uh, oh, you know, I, I'm a conservative. I believe in the fiscal uh, responsibility. We shouldn't spend so much on this. Oh, I'm a liberal. I think we must, uh, you know, spend more on social services. No. It's not that. This is just about idiocy. This is about a system that has gone so off the rails, so embarrassingly off the rails, that now we have a supposedly uh, a Democratic, supposedly progressive, <laughs> I don't know whoever said he was progressive, but a, a Democratic president in the White House who is arguing in favor of indefinite detention, who is claiming that he wants to do something about this uh this horror, frankly, that is Guantanamo, and he is unwilling to do what he has the power to do because he either hasn't the political will or he hasn't the political courage or, frankly, he doesn't give a damn. But that is the era that we, is now upon us in the post-George W. Bush era. And when I hear people say, uh, how long are you going to blame George W. Bush for this? Well, I'm, you know what? I'm not. I'm blaming uh, Barack Obama for it as well. 
But it wouldn't have happened without George W. Bush. Who was it? Our, our friend Rick Overton, I think, uh, the comedian, uh, who said, uh, you know, when will I stop blaming George W. Bush? I don't know. Uh, when do I stop blaming the arsonist for having burned down my house? Well, there was one woman, one woman who could have stopped all of this, who could have kept all of this from happening, who had the ability to at least, uh, you know, prevent so much of what has happened, so much of, of where we have gone off the rails. That would have been former uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, who came out this week to say maybe, oh, maybe, do you think, maybe Bush v. Gore was a mistake. Bush v. Gore, of course, the uh, five to four decision. She was the swing vote uh, that allowed Bush to become president without uh, bothering to count the actual ballots of the actual voters in Florida, which had they been counted, we would later learn. We would have found that Al Gore won Florida by every conceivable counting standard. Hanging chads, pregnant chads, swinging chads, all of that nonsense. However, they would have counted it. Had they counted all of the ballots in the state of Florida in 2000, Al Gore would have won the state, and with it, he would have won the presidency. And yet, here we are, off the rails, 13 years later, and Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor comes out and says, well, you know what, looking back on it, uh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. This in uh, remarks to the Chicago Tribune, she said, quote, it took um, that uh, the high court probably shouldn't have taken the case, quote, it took the case and decided it at a time when it was still a big election issue. She said during a talk on Friday with the Tribune editorial board, quote, maybe the court should have said, we're not going to take it. Goodbye. Oh, really? You think? Maybe? The case, she said, quote, stirred up the public, I wonder why, and, quote, gave the court a less than perfect reputation. Oh, really? Did it? You think? Quote, obviously the court did reach a decision and thought it had to reach a decision, she said. It turned out the election authorities in Florida hadn't done a real good job there and kind of messed up. And probably the Supreme Court added to the problem at the end of the day. Probably? Entering into a, a, a state case un, in an unprecedented fashion that the federal courts had never entered into before. Do you think that was uh, probably a problem? Perhaps you might have noticed it was a problem when in the decision itself it said this decision is never to be used as precedent, is never to be quoted in any other case. You know, that's kind of a hint that maybe your decision wasn't so good if you're saying, uh, by the way... Don't ever, ever, ever use this decision for precedent. Well, the decision happened. Uh, George W. Bush happened. We got what we got. And now, 13 years later, she's uh, thinking, well, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. I guess we should give her a certain amount of credit. If you compare that to uh, Antonin Scalia and his own comments... By contrast, a couple of years ago, by the way, we, we uh, you can go to bradblog.com, take a look at the picture of uh, Antonin Scalia sitting next to Bill O'Reilly of Fox News at the White House Correspondents' Dinner over the weekend, yucking it up. Apparently, they were dates. But when Scalia was asked in 2007 about the Bush v. Gore case, which ended up installing a U.S. president over the will of the people, his response was that, oh, it's water over the deck. 
Over the deck? Shouldn't that be under the bridge? Over the bridge? I guess he's talking about his uh, the fancy deck on his mansion. Water over the de- over the deck, uh, said Scalia, and adding, Americans just need to quote get over it. Guess what? I ain't over it. And uh, the people down there in Guantanamo, they ain't over it. And the people right now that are being asked needlessly uh, to give up their Social Security payments and uh, Medicare, they ain't over it. The people who are out of work now fighting uh, for a job because jerks like uh, Antonin Scalia and Sandra Day O'Connor decided to install a president over the will of the people, those people ain't over it. They're not going to get over it. It's going to take decades to get over what the George W. Bush presidency did to this country. So, uh, no, that doesn't mean we, you know, we don't hold uh, the current president responsible for his utter failures. But we, frankly, would not be in this place uh, had it not been for George W. Bush, had it not been for two unpaid for unnecessary wars, uh, unpaid for tax cuts to the rich, so we can blame uh, Grandma now and take away her Social Security money for what George W. Bush did and for what Justice Sandra Day O'Connor allowed allowed him to do when she gave him the presidency. By the way, uh, Linda Hirschman today has a letter over at New Republic, a letter that was sent from Justice O'Connor to Barry Goldwater in 1988, just before that year's presidential election between George H.W. Bush and uh, Democratic candidate Michael Dukakis. Justice O'Connor wrote, quote, a week until Election Day. Despite your advice, the campaign never really hit the basic issues. People are tired of it all. Many will not vote. I will be thankful if George B. wins. It is vital for the court and the nation that he does. So, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, a big Bush fan, apparently in 1988, and uh, it was vital, apparently, for the court and the nation that his son won in 2000, and she helped to make it happen. Uh, let's get a quick call in. Jeremy from uh, Costa Mesa. Our phone number, by the way, nine eight one eight. 985-5735-818-985-5735. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. What's the matter, Brad? Can't you just get over that Constitution thingy? I, uh, I know. It's water under the deck. Yeah. 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 Um, What's on your mind, sir? You know, we institutionalize the idea of the consent of the governed, and it's no coincidence that that can apply to the macro as well. As we start uh, letting the government do these things, like Guantanamo or deciding who the president is or whatever, right? But especially on foreign soil, we lose influence in the world. So no matter what side of the aisle you're on, whether you're the biggest chicken hawk in the world, um, it's not in your interest to, you know, have these things happen, obviously. And, um, you know, again, I think that a lot of our power was willingly given to the United States from the world um, up to now, in part because of what we're letting them get away with. Wait, given, given to us from the world? Is that what you said? I'm saying that a lot of our influence in the world, which has been, broad, very broad, mm-hmm. was to a large degree given willingly from at least the Western world, say Europe and whatnot. They have let us step in place and basically be the security of the world and all this stuff, you know, and, and let our products penetrate their markets, blah, blah, blah. It's bringing us a lot of power. Okay, sometimes obviously it wasn't willing, but my point is is that we are losing so much power in this entire world because of things like this. Yeah. And I think you're right to point out that again. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, it's it's about the Constitution. So 
Either you put your money where your mouth is, or you have no respect for the Constitution whatsoever. Right, and we have, and we have, by the way, no respect for the Constitution whatsoever. Well, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, uh, whether it's the people of this country, uh, you know, in general, they don't give a damn about the Constitution. They give a damn what you know, what they want, what their constituents want, what is convenient for them. You know, if if we gave a damn about the Constitution, this country would be, uh, you know, out on the streets now saying, no, we don't do indefinite detention here. We don't do these extra constitutional gulags down in uh, in Cuba. I mean, it's absolutely obscene. But, uh, you know, I, I got to say, I, I'm starting to think that the American people either simply don't care or they just don't see enough of a difference uh, between the two parties. Uh, they've got no one to go to, in other words, at this well, point. We're, we're very obedient. We, yeah. we think exactly what we're, we're supposed to think, and we do exactly what we're supposed to do. We shut up and go to work and, and, and go home and sleep and get up and do it again every day. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. We would actually be pulling a... Um, a Boston Tea Party on BT right now. Americans really gave a damn about their constitution. I mean, we'd be throwing things over the decks of private companies as well as mm-hmm. you know, the government if we've been violated. But you're right, we're passive. I, I don't know what to say. Thanks, Jeremy. I, I do appreciate your call, my friend. Uh, thanks for uh, for jumping in on this. Um, before we get to the green news, Desi Doyen will be uh, coming up shortly. With our Green News report, a couple of quick items that I do want to get in uh, before, especially before next Tuesday. We have covered on this show and at Bradblog.com the upcoming election next Tuesday in South Carolina. Special election for the U.S. House between Elizabeth Colbert Bush, the sister of Stephen Colbert, uh, and the uh, former governor of South Carolina, Mark Sanford, the disgraced former governor, Mark Sanford. Um, the reason I've covered it over at Brad blog is because I want to, and this is a couple of weeks ago. You can look it up over there. Uh, I wanted to point out that when they go to vote next week, next Tuesday in South Carolina in the first district in the special U.S. House election, it will be a 100% unverifiable election. It is run on uh, 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting machines, whatever the voting machines say at the end of the day. Uh, whoever the voting machines say is the winner will be the winner. And the reason I'm pointing this out once again now is because Colbert Bush, uh, in a poll last week was up over Mark Sanford by nine percentage points. Okay? Colbert Bush had a nine percentage point lead in, uh, in a poll, in the polls that came out last week. I'm sure that will tighten, but if she ends up getting Alvin Greened next week in South Carolina, I want you folks to remember, she was up by nine points. When they tell you, oh, well, it's a Republican district, it uh, voted uh, in big numbers for uh, for uh, Mitt Romney in 2012, so of course the Republican was uh, was elected. No, remember, she's leading in this race by nine percentage points. And when I talk about being Alvin Greened, for those of you who don't remember, that was also South Carolina, that was the same machines, that was the 2010 Democratic primary election uh, that Alvin, uh, I'm sorry, that uh, Vic Rawl, a, uh, a former state legislator, state legislator, a uh, circuit court judge, uh, he was to win that uh, in a landslide to win the nomination for the U.S. Senate for the Democrats to run against Jim DeMint, and all of a sudden. This uh, unemployed guy who nobody had ever heard of, who had no website, no campaign money, had done no campaigning, who was uh, virtually inarticulate, 
uh, Alvin Green ended up being declared the winner by those 100% unverifiable voting machines in South Carolina. And nobody did a damn thing about it. Other than Vic Rawl, who did challenge it, who did uh, go to the Democrats and say this is nonsense. There is no other explanation for Alvin Green winning other than something went wrong with these voting machines. Uh, and the Democrats said, yeah, well, sorry, uh, nothing we can do about it. No evidence either way. If that happens next Tuesday, I just want you to remember, don't let them tell you, oh, it's a red district. Elizabeth Colbert Bush was never going to win. Nonsense. She's up by nine points. <sighs> All right. Anything else I need to hit before? Well, let's just go to some green news here. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. You see, it's, people it sounds, pass you it sounds like such a sad song, Desi. <laughs> but it's, it's not sad, because you're here to brighten up our day. Desi Doyen, of course, our, uh, our producer, my co-host on the Green News Report, uh, joins us. Uh, before we, oh, we don't have enough time, do we? We never have enough time. For what? We need an extra. Well, I wanted to talk uh, uh, about this West Texas uh, explosion that's being largely ignored in the media. I'll just let me toss this out there since we have to get to the Green News Report very quickly. Uh, Barbara Boxer announced yesterday that she plans an investigation and hearings into the uh, fertilizer explosion plant, uh, fertilizer plant explosion in West Texas that killed 15 people. Injured almost 200 the same week as the Boston uh, uh, bombing, which only killed three people. Not to uh, not to compare, not to marginalize yeah. it. Well, I kind of am comparing because more people were killed in this in this case, and we have more deadly fertilizer plants, thousands of them around the country that could explode any day because uh, and they don't have very much uh, they're regulation. Not regulated. Over they're they're not over. There, there are yeah. there is some regulation, but it's spread across six different agencies, and they do not coordinate. And of course, the chemical industry tends to write their own rules. And they keep cutting back the budgets, so they can't be investigated. Last time OSHA had looked at this plant in West Texas was 1985. Yeah, I think they have 47 or something investigators for the entire country. And we keep cutting that money. But let's make sure there's plenty of money to keep those people in prison down in Guantanamo who haven't done a goddamn thing. Other than that, I'm delighted. Uh, but you'll cheer me up with uh, today's Green News report, right? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's always <laughs> fun. Uh, let's do it, G. I will keep working to make sure that our scientific research does not fall victim to political maneuvers. Obama smacks down attempts to politicize science. The EPA smacks down Alaska's proposed pebble mine. Europe smacks down bee-killing pesticides. Plus, the current government is a Neanderthal government on this issue. Dr. James Hansen smacks back at Canada. All of those smackdowns and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Ignoring climate change and doing little or nothing about the carbon emissions that exacerbates it is costing us a fortune, even beyond the loss of life. Hey, you say that like it's a bad thing, Chris Hayes. Well, it is a bad thing, Brad. Oh. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyne, sound the alarms. I've heard uh, word that we are about to pass the important 400 parts per million of 
carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and this is a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, well, right? yes, we are approaching that milestone. Why is it a terrible thing? Why should I care? Well, hitting 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it's something that hasn't happened in human history, and it hasn't happened in three to five million years. So we're all celebrating today. It's finally happening. No, we are not celebrating. Why not? What's the problem with 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? Well, we're changing the chemical composition of the atmosphere by burning fossil fuels. More CO2 in the atmosphere means more warming. Higher global temperatures have all kinds of cascading consequences that are not good, such as aspects like Hurricane Sandy. So Bill McKibben's group, 350.org, is all about reducing the amount of carbon in the atmosphere down to 350 parts per million. That's right. And right now we're going in the wrong direction. That's not good. No, it's not. Why didn't you just say that in the first place? I did. Oh. In other news, the Environmental Protection Agency has dealt a serious blow, potentially, to the controversial proposal pebble mine in Alaska, issuing a new environmental report concluding that any large-scale open-pit mine in Alaska's unspoiled Bristol Bay region could cause widespread ecological damage and threaten one of the world's most prolific salmon fisheries. Now, the EPA didn't specifically examine the pebble mine because its developers haven't filed official permits yet, but this assessment backs up the opposition. Commercial and sport fishermen, Alaska natives, environmental and conservation groups. Now, the developers naturally criticize the report. They say it's a waste of money. Of course they do. Well, this sounds like good news, particularly for our affiliate Shannon Moore up in Alaska, who's been fighting for years against the Pebble Mine. And I'm happy to see the EPA seems like it is now becoming a bit more aggressive. We also saw a statement from them last week just blasting the State Department's approval of the Keystone XL pipeline. Right. And we'll have more on the Keystone XL pipeline in a moment. In the European Union, member states have voted to place a temporary two-year ban on the use of neonicotinoids. Those are pesticides that have been implicated in the stunning and mysterious decline of bee populations across the Northern Hemisphere. And another bit of good news, retail giant Walmart is doubling down on its commitment to switching all of its operations to renewable energy in the coming decades. Walmart just released a new plan essentially telling big private utility companies to adapt and sell Walmart renewable energy or Walmart will find someone who will. Wow, that's good news. We will continue to pursue advances in science and engineering and infrastructure and innovation, especially science-based initiatives to help us minimize and adapt to global threats like climate change. That was President Obama in a speech celebrating the 150th birthday of the National Academy of Sciences on Monday. He highlighted the crucial importance of federally funded scientific research to the economy and pledged to fight off partisan attempts to politicize scientific research funding. We can't afford to gut these investments in science and technology. And I will keep working to make sure that our scientific research does not fall victim to political maneuvers or agendas that in some ways would impact on the integrity of the scientific process. Obama is referring to new efforts by congressional Republicans to politicize science research funding through congressional funding. New efforts? Yeah, even more efforts now. A polite war of words has erupted between retired NASA scientist Dr. James Hansen and the Natural Resources Minister of Canada, Joe Oliver, over the proposed Keystone XL pipeline across the Midwest. Last week, Oliver slammed Dr. Hansen for his opposition to the pipeline and accused Hansen of exaggerating the impacts of the Alberta tar sands on climate change, Hansen smacked back in an interview with the CBC. The current government is a Neanderthal government on this issue. I, I have hopes that Canada will actually be a good example 
for the United States, but at the present government is certainly not. Well, meow. Actually, Dr. Hansen thinks there's a good chance that the Keystone XL pipeline won't be approved, but the state government of Alberta, Canada, is already floating another alternative. They're thinking about shipping that heavy tar sands through the Arctic. What could possibly go wrong? You think? For more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Remember, you can download our broadcast anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in find us and like us on the facebook and follow us 24 7 on the twitters at green news report from bradblog.com i'm brad friedman and i'm desi Doyle. and this has been your green news report Yeah, you're going to be singing that all night long. You're welcome. You're going to be singing Blame Canada. Yeah, I just want to point out a little, there's some nuance about the uh, carbon dioxide levels being measured at 400 parts per million now. That's uh, something that that we're flirting with at the Mauna Loa Observatory in Hawaii. It's uh, touched up and above and below, and it will continue to seesaw a little bit through probably the month of May and the rest of this year. It's when we get up to that sustained level where it stays above 400 that we have a real problem. Coming soon. Just letting you know. Coming soon. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Uh, great job, as always. My thanks to you, our producer, Desi Doyen, and to our associate producer, Margo Paez. One of these days, we're going to bring her in, and she's going to explain to us what she is doing on the Mars rover for NASA. Yeah, really. Uh, my thanks to G, our soundboard operator, and, of course, to Jason Leopold of truthout.org, my guest today. Uh, stay tuned uh, later this evening on KPFK, an hour of May Day coverage uh, on the KPFK Evening News. And coming up next, a special hour of May Day programming with John Wiener on the 4 o'clock report. We'll be back same time, same Brad time next week, same Brad channel. Uh, glad you could join us here. Until then, we'll see you at bradblog.com and on the Twitters at the Bradblog. I'm Brad Friedman. Happy May Day, and good night, America.